Pastor Ed Taylor encouraging us to be faithful where God has placed us. If you're not faithful where you're at today, there is nothing for you tomorrow except for what God is trying to teach you today. The Bible says not to despise the days of small things. Here's our problem. We think everything that we're doing that isn't what we really want to be doing, we think it's small. We think it's insignificant. Well, you know, Lord, I'm, I'm teaching these two-year-olds, these two-year-olds, for every 30 seconds they give me their attention. But I'm called to teach 20-year-olds for every 30 seconds they give me their attention. We forget that we are called to be faithful where we are right now. This is amazing grace. This is Abounding Grace, a ministry of Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. Perhaps you're not so happy with where you're at today. You have a job that isn't satisfying to you, or you've been in school more years than you can count. While it would be easy for you to jump ship, Pastor Ed Taylor wants us to look behind the scenes and see what God is doing. You'll soon see God has a plan for your life, and that includes right where you're at today. Nothing is wasted by Him. With that in mind, we need to remain faithful. Pastor Ed Taylor is about to open 2 Corinthians 6, but before he does, we pay a visit to Acts 9. All of the things that Paul went through were ordained of God. That word ordained means that they were predicted by God. God knew that they would happen and actually even told Paul they would happen. I want you to hear what he had to say in the calling. You know, in Acts chapter 9 is where... This man, Saul of Tarsus, is converted. He's born again. And Saul of Tarsus, this Pharisee, rabbi, this one that wanted to destroy Christianity, is born again. He's, he's transformed, and we know him as Paul the Apostle. And here at his conversion, in verse 13 of Acts chapter 9, God sends a man by the name of Ananias to him. And this is where we pick up in verse 13. Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Because Ananias was just told to go talk to him. Ananias goes, I heard about this guy. He's going to hurt me. This is ungood. I don't want to go talk to him. In verse 14, he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, listen, go. For he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Isn't that a great calling? Ananias, go tell him I'm going to use him greatly. Go tell him he's going to have a place and a position before people that are very important. He's going to be before kings, and he's going to reach a massive group of people known as the Gentiles. He's going to be used to minister to my own people, the children of Israel. What a great calling. I wish verse 15 was the end of the chapter, but it's not. Here's verse 16. For I will show him how many things he must, what does your Bible say? Suffer for my name's sake. I'm going to show him that it's 
going to be a painful life he lives for me. He's going to be used in a great, tremendous way. God gives Ananias this information. But I'm going to show him something. I'm going to reveal to him all that he's going to suffer, all that he's going to go through. And we got just a little piece here, just a little piece back in chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians of what he was suffering, what he went through up to this point. He still has much more to go through, but up to the point of writing the letter, he speaks of the patience, verse 4, and tribulations and needs and distresses. And then he talked about how he lived in purity and knowledge and long-suffering and the spirit of God and sincere love. In verse 8, he talked about honor and dishonor, evil report, good report. Deceivers came against him, but also true. He was unknown, but well-known. On top of that, recall in chapter 6 of Corinthians, actually the whole letter of 2 Corinthians is written to people that came against him. The people that God used, God used him to bring the gospel to this city. And the people, that are, the, the people that he's writing to are saved because Paul was the tool that God used. And yet some of them turned against him. And began to believe these liars and deceivers that came into the church to try to take advantage of Paul. Saul of Tarsus, even while he was rebelling against God even while he was living against God, even while he was thinking he was doing God a favor by destroying the very people following God's Savior, Messiah, that was promised, even though he didn't get it, and he dedicated his life to destroying that which was God was building. Imagine that, that you're so zealous, so excited for, the, for God that you serve, that, but you totally misunderstand. I mean, Paul would write to the Romans, he would talk about being zealous without knowledge. I think he knows what he's talking about. I don't think he's just talking about them. I think he can think of his own life where he was so excited that he was actually trying to destroy that which God was building and he thought he was doing it in God's name. That's deception. That, that's not understanding clearly. That's not having a clear understanding of the work and the presence and the power of God. But all through his life, he was prepared for this. I want you to know that your life, too, is uniquely prepared for what you're going through and what you're going to go through. Your upbringing, where you came from, what side of the tracks you grew up on, what state you came from, what country you were born in, who your parents were, who your parent was, who your foster parents were, what apartment you grew up in, what room you rented, everything about you. I think of Paul the Apostle, or prior to that, Saul of Tarsus, how uniquely his life would fit into the plan of God for him, even though he wouldn't be able to put the pieces together till much later. I mean, you think of Saul, we know that he was a Jew, but he also had a Roman citizenship. That set him up uniquely to be used like very few people. He grew up in a Grecian city. He grew up Grecian in a Grecian city that was influenced He grew up in the city of Tarsus, which was Grecian influence. So he had a strong Greek background. And he understood that perspective. There was a university there. So that in the city he grew up, but think about it, it, he valued knowledge and education. It was just kind of given to him. He was also a very well-schooled Jewish man, a Pharisee. That means he went the extra mile in his conservative upbringing and his understanding of the Torah, of the law, of the word of God. We know that Saul had a very special place in the plan of God where he was able to sit under a teacher by the name of Gamaliel who was very highly respected. God put him, God set him up in places that I'm sure individually he kind of took pride in them, but when you put them all together, he was the perfect person to be used to go to the Gentiles with his background. He was the perfect person to be used in the calling that was specific 
to him. You have been created a special way. Now, some of you don't like the way you were created. But God made you that way. Your personality. There are parts of your personality, I'm sure you sit back and go, you have some friends and you go, I wish I was more like so-and-so. Anybody ever feel that way? I wish I was more, I wish I had a little bit of this, or, you know, I don't like this. And I just want you to know, stop it. Because you were made the way God wanted you to be made. Now, of course, if it's some simple, nasty thing, get rid of it, but stop the rest. No need to be jealous or no need to be covetous because you're unique. You. Very special in the eyes of God. You've been chosen to be used by God. He takes all your likes and dislikes, your talents, your gifts to use them for his glory. I know there's some painful things in your life and it's okay to wish they never happened, but they did. I know there's some things that, you know, there's a real popular word today. You could say, but Ed, you don't understand I came from a dysfunctional family. Let me just let you in on a little insight. Every family is dysfunctional. Uh, Maybe you had a little more than others, but however you want, you know, dysfunctional is the buzzword of the day. Every family is imperfect. There isn't a perfect family. There isn't any perfect upbringing. I I know some is more painful than others. And we mean no disrespect as we chuckle about dysfunction because some of it's really painful. But the reality is this. Nothing is wasted by God. Nothing is wasted by God. He uses everything about you. Uh, Let me show you one more thing. Turn over to Joshua chapter 18 with me. Joshua chapter 18. Nothing's wasted by God. The children of Israel are now taking the land under the leadership of Joshua. They're obeying. They've made it in. Victory has taken place. It's time to take the land. It's time to set it in order. Pick up with me in verse 8 of Joshua chapter 18. I want to give you just a little insight because it's going to tie together not only with Paul the Apostle's suffering, but how chapter 6 ends. But before we get there, before we see the influence of the world, before we see a very familiar passage, those of you that read ahead, you know where we're headed. Don't be unequally yoked. Don't be unequally yoked. We speak of that many times in relationship, in, in, in relation to relationships, But I want to add a little bit, being unequally yoked will actually hinder you from being used the way God created you. It'll delay until you get things right. It will hold back. Now, you can overcome, and I know, you know, being unequally yoked in a marriage, you know, sometimes you get married to unbelievers, and then one believer gets uh, saved and the other doesn't. That's a different scenario. When you have the opportunity, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Joshua chapter 18. Let's pick up in verse 8. They're ready to get into the land. I'm laying, I want to lay down the foundation of God's plan for your life. Nothing's wasted. Verse 8. Then the men arose to go away, and Joshua charged those who went to, mark that word, survey. God charged those who went to survey the land, go walk through the land, survey it, another Hebrew word, same word, and come back to me that I might cast lots for you here before the Lord in Shiloh. So the men went, passed through the land, and wrote the survey. That's the third time the word's used in a book, seven parts by cities, and they came to Joshua in the camp in Shiloh. Then Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord. And there Joshua divided the land to the children of Israel according to their divisions. Mark that word survey. It is a very technical word. This is a very technical thing that they were called and commanded to do. It refers to a very technical skill. 
The children of Israel, they're entering into the promised land. They've just finished all these years of wandering. They come into the promised land and Joshua identifies a few guys and says, I want you to use a technical skill that you have and go into the land and survey it very technically for us. You know how they do surveying today. They have those things set up and now it's all GPS and everything, but they have to understand how to, the specific measurements and lands and all the boundaries. You, you'll see those guys with the tripods all over the place as they're setting things up. The same, same idea here. Here's the question. Here's the observation that I made here. Where did they learn this technical skill? Didn't they just finish wandering in the wilderness? Didn't the generation die in the wilderness? This is the next generation. Where did this skill come from? What, did they just pick it up on a, you know, did they do like online courses in the wilderness? Did they, where did they pick it up? Anybody want to venture a guess real loud? Egypt. Wait a minute. Egypt? I thought Egypt was bad. Wasn't it bad? You guys know the Bible? It was bad. They were enslaved. They were enslaved in Egypt. They were mistreated in Egypt. They were hurt and harmed in Egypt. Thinking back to Egypt, now some of them forgot how bad it was and they wanted to go back with the onions and the leeks. Oh God, why did you take me out of Egypt? We wanted to be delivered, but now that we're delivered, we want to go back because we miss the onions. Oh, we want the onions, Lord. We don't want freedom. We will give up our freedom for some onions and some leeks. Oh, and, and some garlic. Great breath, don't you think? They're going back. They want to go back. Egypt was a horrible time in the history of the children of Israel. And yet, in a horrible time, God found place to redeem it. In the midst of their slavery, they learned a technical skill. A skill that would be used to benefit the next generations. The people ahead of them. Those who were 20 years old and older would have been involved in all sorts of construction projects and surveying skills and would have passed that on through their family. And this is important because I know some of you are really discouraged and unhappy with where you are right now. The condition and the place of your life. Some of you are even wondering right now, why does God want me to be in school? Or even more so, this school. At this time, why does God have me at home? Why do I have this job or this boss? Why am I where I'm at? You know, you can even extend that to some of the areas of what you may consider full-time ministry. You just sense this calling in your life, full-time missionary, full-time pastor, full-time, and you've got this calling, full-time Bible teacher, full-time school teacher. You've got in your mind what it might be, but that's not where you are now. You are somewhere else. And because you want to be somewhere else, you're not taking full advantage of where you are right now, where God wants to develop in you the skills the technical things, right where you're at. Let me warn you, if you're not faithful where you're at today, there is nothing for you tomorrow except for what God is trying to teach you today. The Bible says not to despise the days of small things. Here's our problem. We think everything is not that, that we're doing that isn't what we really want to be doing. We think it's small. We think it's insignificant. Well, you know, Lord, I'm, I'm teaching these two-year-olds. 
these two-year-olds, for every 30 seconds, they give me their attention. But I'm called to teach 20-year-olds. For every 30 seconds, they give me their attention. <laughs> or I'm called, and we, we forget that we are called to be faithful where we are right now. Because God could very well be giving you a technical skill so that when you're where God wants you in the future, you have learned what you needed to learn here, and the reward for faithfulness is always more. And the reward for unfaithfulness is always what you have will be taken away from you. And given to who? Who's it given to? The one that was faithful. Even those that have little or consider themselves to have little, it's all that you have. So it's 100% of everything that you have that God has entrusted to you. Nothing's so small that God wouldn't require faithfulness from us. God doesn't waste a thing in your life. The things you're learning right now will become beneficial to you and for you as you grow in the calling of God's placed upon your life. Let's talk just for a second about this idea of full-time ministry. We make a great mistake when we compare me with you and say this, Ed, you're in the full-time ministry and I'm not. That is a false comparison and it's not true. Let me correct you. Allow me that permission to correct you. We are all in the full-time ministry. Wherever we are and whatever we do, it is irrelevant how the needs of your home are being met financially. It doesn't matter who's signing the check or where the direct deposit comes from or where you show up in any physical location. We are all in the full-time ministry. God is using you and God is using me. And then there is, a, there is a large group in any church, not just ours, but in any church where a majority of the people serving work a long full-time job during the week and in their spare time will also divide, de- devote their spare time to the work of the ministry so that it's even more than just a few hours a week devoted to earning a living to take care of the needs of the home, to take care of the bills and the food and paying rent. But on top of that, you're serving people at work, but you're also serving people in the context of the church so that you're even pouring more hours in to the work of the ministry. So we're all in the full-time ministry, every single one of us. We are all serving. There is no arrival. There is no arrival that once your paycheck now changes from where you're at, you know, you work for Sears or you work for Boeing or you work for the United States government, wherever your checks are coming from, And then there comes a day when an open door comes and you start working at First Baptist Church of Aurora, First Baptist Church of Denver, and now your check is coming from First Baptist Church. That doesn't mean you're any more in the full-time ministry than it did when you got your check from the U.S. government. Nothing happened except the location of your finances came and it was probably a lot less. You guys with me? So nothing, you've been created very special, uniquely. God is working in your life. As a believer, you're going to suffer whatever God's called you to do. Saul of Tarsus became Paul the Apostle. Nothing was wasted by him, just as nothing's wasted in your life. Paul was a tent maker for many years. He was a church planner. He, he would make tents. He would go from city to city. He'd connect with people that make tents. That's how he made a living. There'd be times when whatever offering he would receive, he'd give it to the church. And then he'd go out and make tents. For many years, and serving both in California, serving at the church I came from, and that's how I moved here, I worked for an ambulance company. That's how God provided for my family. 
I worked for a little mom and pop ambulance company for many years and then they decided to sell it and when they sold it, it opened the door for me to end up moving here many years ago. You wouldn't have been able to tell me that that's what God was doing in my life because there were many times all I did, what I did in the early days is I answered the phone and I dispatched ambulances and there were many, many years that I hated it. I hated my job. I couldn't, can I underscore hated with big, bold letters? It was, it was just like, I rem- especially after I got saved, I go, God, you, there's a calling on my life. And God would say, yeah, there's a call right there on the phone. Answer it. <laughs> That's your calling. Answer the phone. They're talking to you. Somebody needs an ambulance, you knucklehead. That's your calling. Be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful. There was even a season I was so frustrated because I made so little money. And we had made a commitment unto the Lord that Marie was going to stay home when Joshua, our second son, was born. We just felt burdened. We're new believers that she was going to stay home. That was just a personal conviction. I know not everybody could do that, but at that time we couldn't do it either. But we just decided, no, Lord, this is from you. We're going to do it. And so to stay home, I needed, I needed to make extra money. And they, it was a small company. It was a family company. They couldn't pay me any extra money. So I went knocking around looking for a job. I was just, just, I was just so, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't get to go to college. You guys know my, you, you, most of you know my story. I threw my life away. I didn't go to, get to go to college. I, I uh, don't have an education. I wish I did, but I don't. So it, there's not a lot of opportunities open up to me. And some, some of the mistakes that I made uh, under the influence of alcohol and drugs, there were a lot of jobs that weren't avail- afforded to me uh, because of, I had to put down things on my application of what a knucklehead I was. And so there was just, it was just tough. And so I found this Roto-Rooter company that was hiring. And they were going to pay me a dollar more an hour, which would have been very significant. I think I was making 10 bucks. I would have made 11 bucks an hour, raising my family of four. And just, man, they're just going like, we'll, we'll to, we'll give you 10% more. And I said, all right, all right. And, and I was ready to leave that company. They'd been good to me. The family had been good to me. But I was restless. Anybody ever been restless? I was restless. I was just, and I thought I was where I needed to be. And, and uh, I prayed, but I don't know if I heard from the Lord. And, and, and so they offered me the job, and I went back, and I, I said, you know, um, I, I made an appointment with the owner, and I said, I really don't want to leave. I like you guys. I think I do really well here. Uh, but this Roto-Rooter company is going to pay me $1 more an hour. And I need another dollar an hour because my wife, you know, Marie's staying home, and we just had a baby, and... And I just want to let you know, if you will pay me a dollar or a little bit more than a dollar more an hour, I'll stay. And they must have just shook their head. You know, dude, there's like a thousand of you that want your job. And you know what they did? They gave me the raise. And I stayed there and worked faithfully for them until they sold us. And if that wouldn't have happened, I look back on some of the little things in my life. If I would have just left and bolted for a dollar, which I think would have been okay and not sent for anything, then that whole process of that little company becoming, a, you know, being a part of a larger corporation, and then that little corporation was bought again, so it became a much bigger corporation, who happened to have, by the time I moved here in 1999, happened to have offices right over here on Parker and Yale, those big buildings there. When I moved here, I took a transfer with that company. They're the ones that moved us out here. They packed all our stuff, put our cars in a truck, drove it all out here, flew us out here one way, put us up in an apartment for five weeks, gave us 30 grand to buy a house. It's like, man, you got any more? <laughs> all because in frustration, there was a sense God gave it to me to be bold, but also to wait to see if he could work on the back end. 
Today on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor has been in the book of 2 Corinthians. We're going through the epistle from start to finish. To hear today's message again, go to calvaryco.church. At Abounding Grace, we're committed to delivering God's Word to people all across the world. But we can't do it alone. We're very thankful for the listeners that come alongside us with financial and or prayerful support. Your gift, whatever the size, would be greatly appreciated and put to good use. And if you'd like to help us reach people with the love and truth of Christ, please visit calvaryco.church or call 877-30-GRACE. And as you give $25 or more today, we'll say thanks by sending you contented in all things peace. Does contentment seem sort of like an elusive target to you? We live in a world that pushes us to always strive for more and never be satisfied with what we have. That certainly doesn't help matters, does it? But the Lord wants us to experience true contentment and peace, and it can happen. And the Bible points the way. Allow Pastor Jeff Geip to reveal the pathway to contentment to you in this book called Contentment. Call 877-30-GRACE. We'll get right back into 2 Corinthians tomorrow on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.